Welcome to Grace Church. Welcome to those of you that are watching from your homes and from different places in the world. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. I will uh, begin a series today on portraits of Christ in the book of Hebrews. I will look at uh, seven portraits of Christ. We'll look at one of them this morning, and uh, the more I went over my message this morning, I decided we'll look at that this week and next week. I will spare you uh, 20 pages of notes. So, uh, But this morning, we will begin with the first portrait of Christ, Jesus as God's final word. I'm going to read the whole text, Hebrews 1 through verse 4 of chapter 2, but I will deal with just the first portion of the text this morning thinking of Jesus as God's final word. Hebrews 1.1 Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes the angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness, of uprightness, is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, 
lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So our writer begins with that God has finally and fully spoken through Jesus Christ. And then he ends that section with a warning that if we don't listen to this one through whom God has fully and finally spoken, then we are in great danger. You know, often in witnessing to people about Christ and the gospel, one of the questions, the apologetic questions that often comes up is, upon whose words are you building your life, both now and for eternity? Who are you believing? Upon whose words are you building your life? In one of my ongoing conversations with a friend, we often find ourselves at difference and disagreement. And sometimes he will just confess. He says, well, you know, I don't know what I believe about that. You know, I, I, don't, I, I just don't know. And I will say, well, you know, here is what the Bible says about that particular question. And he will then respond, well, it's easy for you because you have an authority to which you can uh, appeal. And when I hear him say that, sometimes I think he says it with a bit of envy, that I do have an authority to which I can appeal, I can base my beliefs on. And yet at other times I think I hear a bit of ridicule, like he's saying, well, you know, you are one of those, you know, not so intelligent followers of Jesus who can't think for himself, and you need a crutch to rely on. I'm not sure all the time which of those is his sentiment, but I suspect that most unbelievers live between those two feelings. They have a desire and in a human desire for certainty. And yet they have a resistance, an innate human resistance to an external authority for someone who is going to dictate to them what they should believe and how they should live. My question often is, to non-believers is whose words are you building your life on for both now and in eternity? You know, we live in the information age. How many times a day do you say, I'll Google that? 
you know, I can find an answer to that question, or you can go to Wikipedia, or, you know, that we, we are inundated with those who have uh, the truth to tell us, you know, their truth, as they might say. In a postmodern world, it's, you know, their version of what is truth. And on top of that, in the world in which we live, both the academic world as, bo- as well as the everyday world, the new authority is what some would call scientism. Well, some would say it's science. You know, we hear all the time, well, you can believe the science. And, of course, your question be, should be, well, whose science? You know, which university, which study, you know, whose science has made this conclusive? Is it universally believed? You know, is it universally demonstrated? Has it been empirically tested and refined over a period? Who, whose science? None of us have a problem with real science. You know, we believe in things that can be verified and tested uh, empirically. But we all have a problem with, or we should have a problem with what we call scientism. Scientism is sort of the, the, the underlying belief that through science you can answer the important, the ultimate questions of life, that science somehow can define who you really are and where you came from and why you're here and where you're ultimately going, you know, back to the dust. We don't have a problem with real science, but we have a problem with any philosophical belief that tries to answer the ultimate questions of life, which only God can answer, and thankfully he has. So in this message this morning and next week, I want to ask and answer a couple of questions, sort of apologetic questions when someone is making a truth claim. I like the way that Rolando uh, opened up his prayer. He, he, he referred to the Bereans, uh, you know, who listened to Paul preach. And their question in their mind, their apologetic question was, well, is this Paul or is this God? You know, am I going to rest my life and build my life on the words of Paul, or is Paul speaking the words of God? So let's go and examine everything that Paul says by the word of God, and that's what you should be doing, because only the word of God is a reliable foundation to build your life on both now and for eternity. So when someone makes a truth claim, Our question, one of our questions should be, does he or she have a history of reliability? You know, voices come and go. Words are easy. Self-proclaimed authorities are like fads. You know, they go from generation to generation. They go from month to month sometime. But our text is telling us that the God who has finally and fully spoken in Jesus Christ is the God who has been speaking throughout history. In his revelation to mankind, he has been speaking over and over again. And our writer tells us that this speaking of God has 
continuity to it. That is, there is a story that is centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is a unified story about how how God in Christ will restore a fallen humanity and a fallen world. There is a continuity in the speaking of God. But he also reminds us that there is a discontinuity, that God in time past used multiple modes of communication. He used multiple messengers in the old covenant to bring his word to people. But now he says that discontinuity begins because now God has spoken finally and fully in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He's been speaking through the ages, pointing people to Christ. Now Christ has come and he now has finally spoken. Our text is telling us that God's word is reliable. He's been speaking for a long time. You can examine his words. He's not just someone who just appeared on the scene. People used to say to me, why, why don't you write a book? And my answer early on was, well, I don't want to write a book until I'm really settled on what I believe. If I write a book when I'm 20, I might wish I had not written it when I was 40. So I don't want to write a book uh, early. Uh, and there's some wisdom in that, and I probably wouldn't have written any book unless if my brother Steve didn't kick me in the pants and, and uh, encourage me to do it. I go back and listen to some of my old messages. And I say, I wish I had not said that. I wish I had not said it that way. Or, you know, I really don't believe that in the same way I believed it back then. But you can go through God's speaking from the beginning, from the first recording of his speaking in the garden. And you can trace his messages and find out that God has never been wrong. He has never lied. He has never made a mistake. He has never need to say, oh, I need to correct what I said. You know, we live in a world where anybody can do enough research on anyone to find that they said things that they wish they had never said. They wrote emails, they wrote books, they, they did interviews. Man, I wish I'd never said that. And we use that to attack their character. We, we use their lies or their misinformation or their mistakes of the past to say they're not reliable today. And sometimes that's true. That's not always true, though. But with God, he has spoken in many ways, through many means, through many different people. Well, over 1,600 years, the Bible was written with 42 different authors, 66 books. One voice 
in total agreement. The God who has been speaking, the writer says, is the God who is now speaking in Christ. And his words can be accepted unequivocally because he has always told the truth. And that's important to know that God has always spoken truthfully because not only my life and purpose today depend on God's veracity, his reliability, but my life and purpose today and tomorrow and eternity depends on a God who speaks the truth, whose words are reliable. We know that that's how Jesus saw God's speaking in the Old Testament. Without going back to Luke 24 and reading those great passages in verses 25 to 27, and then later in uh, that, that same chapter, verses 44 to 47, Jesus tells us that when God was speaking in the Old Testament, he was always speaking with a view to him. That whatever he said in the law, the prophets, whatever he said through Moses or through Isaiah, he was always pointing to that final word, Jesus Christ. And whatever he said in prospect, in prophecy about Christ, came true. And now God has finally spoken in his Son. I love that incident on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus is there with Peter, James, and John, and they begin talking about, Lord, it's good to be here. And if you want, I'll make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, the Bible says, uh, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son. In Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Moses, Elijah, great spokesmen for God. But they were spokesmen who were pointing forward to that greater voice, Jesus Christ. And now, our writer says, God has spoken through his Son. So it's very simple. Tell me what you're staking your life on. Whose reliable words? I confess, I may be in unintelligent, you know, backward uh, believer, follower, uneducated, unsophisticated follower of Christ. That's may, that may be how you see me, but I joyfully claim that I'm staking my life on the words of Jesus Christ. And I have found in life, he has never let me down. His word has always been true. And I believe when I die, I will wake in his presence and experience the reliability of his word. 
But another question that goes along with that is not only whose words are you staking your life on, but what is the nature, the, the character of the one you're listening to? You know, who is this? We all know that one of the problems with the information explosion is the verification of what you read. Many times you don't know who said it. And even if you know the name of who said it, you know nothing about the person. And you might go to Snopes and try to find out, you know, is this really true? But then Snopes isn't always right either. So how do you know who is this person? What is their character? To be honest, I am a skeptic. Whenever somebody is saying something, I'm thinking of who's saying it. Whenever they are quoting somebody or giving me information, I want to know, where did you get that? Was that on Facebook or was that, you know, uh, uh, somebody forward you a, a, a message? or wh Where did you get that? Why do you believe that? Why do you believe it so strongly? I mean, it may be true, but you should live with a healthy skepticism except when you are reading the Word of God. I mean, if you don't have skepticism when you listen to the news or read the newspaper, then you end up being a fool. I would not stake my lives on anyone's words unequivocally. Not on the words of Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Rush Limbaugh or Jimmy Kimball. You know, they're all right some of the time. And they're all wrong a lot of the time. Because if Jesus Christ is not the final and full word from God, and if you don't evaluate every other word by his word, then you end up being wrong much of the time. Who is this one through whom the Father has chosen to speak in these last days. And we look again at our text, these series of statements about him. He is appointed the heir of all things. Wow. A lot of people today listen to Bill Gates. Why? Because he is a billionaire. And we now know that he owns more farmland in the U.S. than any other single person. But I listen to somebody who inherits everything. Everything that Bill Gates has belongs to Jesus Christ, and he only has it by his mercy for a time. He is appointed 
the heir of all things. As Steve pointed out in his message a few weeks ago, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He is that, that child who has the right of inheritance to everything that the Father has. He has, has the priority in, 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 above all people, above all things. This belongs to Jesus Christ. The words are sort of reminiscent of Psalm 2 where the messianic king is granted the earth and all of the peoples of the earth for his inheritance. The richest man in the world today is Elon Musk as of 2021. He has $188 billion. Should I listen to him? Why not listen to somebody who has a trillion times more than that, an endless, infinite inheritance? We need to ask, what is it about people that makes you want to listen to them? Their influence, their power, their wealth. Some of you are too young or perhaps from another country where you never you know, heard the phrase perhaps back in the 60s, you know, when, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everybody listens. And that was one of the oldest financial firms in the country, very successful, but nobody even knows of E.F. Hutton today. One, he's dead, he died in the 60s. And then that whole firm was so filled with corruption, it got swallowed up by others. Who do you listen to? We listen to someone who has been appointed heir of all things. He, secondly, is your creator through whom he created the world. Again, Colossians chapter 1, in Christ all things were created, John chapter 1. He is the uncreated creator, as we like to describe him. He created the world. And the particular word here for world, sometimes translated universe, is actually the word that is more of a time-oriented than a geography-oriented word. It's actually the word for ages. He didn't just create the world as a physical entity. He created the world with all of its successive periods of time and all that takes place within that time. It's another way of saying that Jesus Christ is the Lord of history. He is the one who has always made things happen from the beginning, who is moving things along in your lifetime, and who is bringing things to their ultimate consummation to his own glory. People want to listen to the, the movers and the shakers of this world. 
People who can get things done. You know, I want to read their books on leadership and, you know, how, how to succeed. The movers and shakers. Well, our text is telling us that there is a mover and shaker. His name is Jesus. Listen to him. He is directing the course of all of Earth's history. He's directing the course of your life. He holds your future in his hands. Thirdly, he tells us that this one to whom we listen is God, very God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Just like the rays of the sun do not exist without the sun, the Father does not exist without Jesus. You see Jesus, Jesus said, and you see the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. And he reiterates that in another way. He is the exact imprint. We get our word character from that word, the exact imprint. The idea is that when you take an engraving tool and you press it into wax and leave an impression, that the impression that remains is a duplicate of that engraving tool. And our text is simply saying in a poetic way that Jesus is the exact representation of God. You see Jesus, you see God. Philip, whoever has seen me, he says to Thomas, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Who is this one to whom we listen? He's the one who providentially sustains the world. He upholds the universe by his power. He sustains it. He carries it along, the Greek word means, to bring it to its end, to its purpose. And he does this simply by the incredible force of his word. The word that he asked you to believe, the word that he asked you to build your life on, the word that he says will bring you joy if you believe it. This word is what keeps the world moving every day to its ultimate end, to the glory of God. We listen to the words of one who has such power to give purpose and meaning to our life. Yeah, I want to know, whose words are you listening to? What's his character? What's he like? What do you know about Bill Gates that you are so caught up with him? You know, what is it about Donald Trump that you like? Or what is it about Biden? What, what is it about, why do you watch Jimmy Kimmel every night? Why do you hang on Rush Limbaugh's words? What is it about them that makes you such a a, a follower and sometimes a blind follower? What is it about them? Why not listen to Jesus? There's no one like him who's directing this world to its final purpose. But more than that, 
He is your priest. He is the one who makes purification for your sins. Tell me, what did Bill Gates ever do for you? You say, well, he gave me a million dollars. If that's true, that's great. It might take you through life, but it won't take you through death. Because one day you will stand before God who is holy. We sang about him today. Holy, holy, holy. How can I, as a sinner, stand before a holy God? Because Jesus makes purification for our sins. He goes to the cross. He bears my sin. He sheds his blood. And God accepts his sacrifice and makes me clean. You see, when you listen to Jesus, and you should, you listen to someone who has accomplished for you what no one else could ever do. He's your Savior. He died in your place. Why are you listening to them? But he's not only my priest, he is my king. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. No priest ever did that in the Old Testament. When that high priest went into that holy of holy place, he never sat down. Matter of fact, they say they tied a rope to his leg in case he had a heart attack while he was in there to pull him out of there. No one even dared go in there except the high priest once a year. But he never sat down. And every year he had to come back and do the same thing. The work of the old covenant priest was never done. But Jesus, when his work is done, when he cries out, it is finished. He sits down, letting us know that the work is done. And he sits down in a place of honor and exaltation and of power. He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high because to him it has been given to rule over everything. To whom are you listening? You're struggling in your marriage. Whose words will you believe? Because there's a lot of voices out there today that will give you a whole new understanding of what marriage is. When it comes to relationship of husbands and wives, who will tell you what that ought to look like? Because in a world of feminism and egalitarianism and gender neutrality, 
Who will tell you? How do I relate to my wife? And how do I relate to my husband? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. God has finally and fully spoken in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, when you listen to the word of God, you will never be a good Republican or a good Democrat. You will never blindly become part of any movement or a follower of any voice. Because when you evaluate any movement and every voice by the word of God, they all fall short. We are so influenced by culture by movements, by loyalties, by family, by friends, by religious upbringing. But all of those voices, unless they are evaluated by the word of God, will all contain error. Because nobody is always right except Jesus. Listen to him. Believe him. Follow him. Rest in his words. He will never let you down. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we worship you. We think of your awesome plan for this world and for us and how you have brought it to completion in the person and work of Christ. And by your grace, you have invited us to enjoy this. Thank you for the grace that you've shown us in Christ. And I pray for all of us here this morning that can be deceived, that can blindly listen and give loyalties in idolatrous ways that ultimately bring only ruin to our lives. Help us to pay attention more to Jesus Christ. And if there's one here today that does not know him, not only as their creator, the one who sustains the world that they live in, the one to whom the world belongs, but they don't know him as their savior, the one who died for their sins, I pray that today, they would have the joy and the peace of trusting Christ as Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.